Hello guys, today we are talking with Julie Driver about learning the way we learn and her teaching experience. Stay tuned. Hello Julie, thank you for talking to me. Tell us about yourself and a bit about your profession. Okay, so um, my name is Julie Driver. I've taught primary age children for 20 years. I gave up about five years ago. Um, I just started to struggle with the way they wanted us to teach the children and the national curriculum. I just thought it wasn't going in the right way for young children. Um, yes, I'm qualified to teach five to 11-year-olds and I live in Surrey in England for half the year and I spend half the year here. Um, I taught in a very wealthy um, infant school for the last seven years, teaching six and seven-year-olds. So we had a few bilingual children, but I would say 90% of the children I taught um, were very um, middle-class British. Okay. You said you didn't totally agree with the national curriculum. What do you mean by that? Um I felt that when the children came to me in September, because I used to have to put them through their exams in the May, um, I had to really narrow the curriculum and their learning experience because I was assessed as a teacher on my performance and the targets I had to set the children and their level of achievement. And I just felt that it really narrowed the um, subject matter and a lot of creativity and um, spontaneous learning went out the window, really. Okay. Um, when do British kids start learning a foreign language? Do they learn a foreign language? Um, officially, key stage two, which is um, seven to 11-year-olds. Okay. But it's probably just um, an hour, one hour a week, which is never enough. Okay. In my class... Um, it wasn't part of the Key Stage 1 curriculum, but, um, for example, one year my teaching assistant was Spanish, mm -hmm. so we taught the children how to count up to 30 in Spanish, and when they answered the register every day, um, they um, uh, would say their number okay. um, in Spanish, and also um, I used to teach them French numbers as well. But there was no room in the curriculum at all for us to spend any time teaching a second language. Do they have bilingual schools in the United Kingdom? There are bilingual schools. Um, the government over the last five, perhaps ten years, has recognised the need. Um, in 2012, one of the first bilingual state-paid-for, state-funded schools uh, was in Brighton, which is only about an hour away from me. Um, since then, um, there are a few more state-funded schools across the UK, but most of them are still known as international schools and they are private fee-paying schools. However, overall in, state, in the state sector, children, there are 300 different types of language that are spoken within a primary school. So as a teacher... Uh, sometimes they come with extra help to help them learn language, um, but, but most of the time you are just left to cope with these children and arrive on your doorstep in your classroom. Okay. Um, 
who sometimes have very little in the way of English language. So it's really difficult because over the years they've cut the funding and you don't necessarily get somebody to help. Um, children are amazing though. They learn so quickly. And I remember, oh, years ago, I had a little girl, when I was at, teaching at junior school, I had a little girl come to me whose father worked for one of the mobile phone companies. And in her eight years of life, she'd lived in five different countries. And she could, not fluent in five different languages, but she was amazing. What are some of the characteristics of uh, kids of that age? Um, what their learning ability, um, the characteristics, okay, they have brains like sponges, basically. Um, by the age of three, children have um, the best time for them to start learning and equally the best time for them to start learning a second language is by the time they're four. Because at the age of three, um, they have their brain is developed enough to be able to soak in 50% of um, of new things. By the age of eight, there's an added 30%. So to actually get, get children to start thinking about learning a different language, um, the best time to start them is age four. But they just they just love to learn. And you as your role as a teacher is to and make sure that you embrace that enthusiasm and the fact that they can just absorb so much at such a young age. Uh, what type of activities would you recommend to use uh, as a teacher for the children of that age? Okay, so there is a theory that depending on the age of the child is how long they can um, hold your, you can hold their attention. So at the age of six or seven, um, Every lesson I taught, and bear in mind I used to teach 11 subjects, um, they used to start the, the, the session on the carpet at my feet. And you used to, the idea is you model, you teach the new activity that you want them to go away and do, and you model what you want them to do. So the, at the age of six and seven, you can only expect them really to sit on the carpet for 15 minutes. If you want to, if I wanted them to sit longer, I used to do what I used to call brain breaks. So um, after 15 minutes, I, if I could see that I was losing some of their attention, we used to get up, we used to jump around the classroom or do um, star jumps or just something just to break the um, pattern. And then that used to bring them back down to where I wanted them again. Um, everything... When you teach young children, everything is very practical. So I used to spend hours and hours on my lounge floor making resources that they could use. Um, you don't learn from um, books um, or just listening. There are three types of, um, there's three ways in which people um, learn. Um, auditory, kinesthetic and visual. Auditory is obviously listening, and most of us don't learn like that because whatever we hear just goes out of our head most of the time. Kinesthetic is when you actually do an activity, and most of us are kinesthetic learners. Um, kinesthetic and auditory, um, again, just by listening, um, you lose a lot of the learning because if it doesn't interest you, then it just doesn't stick. 
So most of us are a combination of visual and kinesthetic learners. So um, teaching young children, you do an awful lot of modelling what you want them to do, and then they actually go away and do it, and you use practical resources to help them visualise and to learn for it to stick. You said that the kids of that age are like a sponge. Mm -hmm. uh, why do you think they learn easily? They remember things? Um, I found a really good quote, actually. Okay. Um, and this is, this, is, this is more directed at um, why it's so good for children to, at an early age to um, become bilingual. Okay. And um, it comes from the quote I found comes from the Cambridge University Department of Theoretical and Applied Linguistics. Okay. Linguistics. Okay. Um, they could. They obviously can describe it much better than I could. So I found this nice quote. So basically, the, the theory is that young minds are more adaptive to developing more skills at an early age because obviously. The, the brains of a young child are constantly developing and the neurons are constantly providing new connections. And this is the quote, that learning is more organic and less systematic than for older children. So rather than just learning um, times tables by rote when they're older, it just became, I used to teach, you know, two times two and five times ten, etc., as a, as a song. Oh. Um, so it's not only enjoyable and fun, but it's not systematic. Okay. You're not you're not learning by rote. Um, and it goes at the quote goes on to say they develop stronger, more effective neural pathways, leading to more creative and imaginative modes of thought. They're better to cope with tasks that involve attention, memory, and concentration, and the mental gymnastics needed to constantly manage two or more ling linguistic systems increase cognitive flexibility and makes learning easier um, and that's true for all areas not just if you want if you're teaching a second language um, you do lots of different activities that lead to the same answer but you teach those activities in different ways so that every child um, has more opportunity to grasp what you're trying to teach them Are there any differences in our natural learning abilities? Yes, I think we, we've all got equal possibilities to learn. It's the role of the teacher to identify strengths and weaknesses, um, how the child learns. So are they a kinesthetic learner? Are they uh, visual? Um, you have to tap into what they really enjoy. Um, obviously, there's things that you have to teach them that you know are pretty dull, but that's just part of life. Yeah. at least for everybody um, they some children are awfully stronger at academic subjects whereas other children are stronger with creative creativity or sport um, and I used to say to children who were struggling in a particular subject look we can't all be good at everything you know you're really good at maths or you're really good at playing football Um, doesn't matter, just um, do your best and you will achieve. But you've got to get young children, it's part, a big role of a teacher, of a teaching young children is to make them want to take risks and to, to make them realise that it's okay to make mistakes.
So is the purpose of the classroom to prepare a child uh, for an exam? How do you feel about standard classroom learning experience with books? Um, like I said at the beginning, one of the reasons I stopped teachers because I didn't like the way British education was going. I felt it was too structured. They came to me in the September. All I could focus on was getting them to pass their exams in the May. Um, I thought there was too much pressure put on the children. We tried to, at my school, we tried to make it fun and they didn't realise they were taking exams. Yeah, the way I prepared them was actually quite sneaky. We're in danger of, you know, taking all the creativity and spontaneous learning out of the curriculum. And to be quite honest, the national curriculum in the UK doesn't always suit boys. Boys? Yeah. We in my opinion, we expect boys to sit and um, for a literacy hour or a numeracy hour at the age of five or six, when really all they want to do is play, fight and roll about under the tables playing with Lego. I think formal learning in the UK starts too early. I think um, when they come to school um, in the reception year at the age of four straight five, they learn through play. And I think, personally, I think that needs to continue. And then more formal learning starts maybe seven onwards, okay. which I believe is how schooling is structured more in Scandinavian countries mm. and in France. A role of the teacher and or a homeschooling parent, is he supposed to motivate? Is he just a planner? Okay, so the role of a teacher, oh many things. Um, I was to, to encourage, There's, I'm going to sort of talk, go off task a little bit here, because um, I want to talk about homework for a start. You know, for me, homework must have a purpose. And 90% of the time, you know that the child has not done the homework, the parent has, because it's quicker, it's easier, and the child is not motivated to do it. Okay. So there's been lots and lots of theories, lots of research that actually homework doesn't necessarily um, raise the level of achievement. So parents have to be very careful that they don't just, they're there to encourage, not to do. Um, teachers are there to challenge, take the children out of their comfort zone, but not so much so that they um, are frightened and can't think straight because um, they're finding it too difficult. Um, obviously, a teacher, and this is harder for a parent because obviously they're not trained. They need to identify learning styles, strengths, weaknesses, um, so you can tap in to the best way to help that child achieve. Um, they need to be able to take risks. And um, I used to deliberately make mistakes when we used to write stories together on the board so they could correct my grammar, uh, etc., or I've forgotten full stops or capital letters so that they knew that um, it's okay to make mistakes and take risks because even adults do that. Um, and then obviously, it's really important to include all children. Um, I had, I've taught children in wheelchairs. I've had children come to me where English is their additional language. And you make, have to make sure that every child feels comfortable and ready to learn. I like the idea of you making, you as a teacher making mistakes. You start their thinking process, you make them 
uh, think and um, I think that's the best way. That's one of the best techniques um, I really prefer to use during my classes. Yeah. Um, is it necessary to have a lot of different resources in uh, your classroom in order to be successful at learning? Um, yes. With Again, I can talk from the experience of teaching small children. Everything is um, resource-based. Um, everything is taught practically. Um, for example, when teaching maths, we use something called a number line so the children can, you know, add on two, take away three using a number line. So they, they become so used to looking at that number line, it, in the end it stays in their head and they can visualise it. And again, you've got to make learning fun. Um, if you don't, then they just don't want to. They're just not interested and you're not going to get them anywhere. Okay. Um, can you teach something just one time or do you necessarily have to come back to it? Yeah, no, you, the national curriculum, although it has many faults, it's quite clever because you do come back to the subject over and over again and it's, it's always small steps. Now, a child needs to experience, um, you, know, you as an adult, and again, for me, learning French, it's repetition, it's um, given the opportunity to, to talk, to um, you know, use IT, um, to use lots and lots of different ways to absorb the information so it sticks. So no, the, the children might, um, in, the, in the autumn term, um, focus on addition um, for a couple of weeks, and then in the spring term, you revisit addition again, okay. and, and then in the summer term. So it's, it's always repeated. Okay. And that, that sort of carries on through the through their teaching, through their learning experience. What if my child doesn't want to go to school? How can I change this? How can I support my child in his learning? Okay, that's a tricky one because if your child doesn't want to go to school, there might be lots and lots of different reasons. It might not be to do with the learning. It might be to do with friendships, um, anxiety, um, the fact that they've haven't been to school for six weeks through the summer holidays and as a young child you you know six six weeks is a long time for them to be off um a good school will obviously have in place um procedures to encourage children who don't want to come to school to come to school it might be that they attend part-time or you arrange for a little friend to meet them in the playground um it's a really difficult one to answer, Anna, because it's there's so many different reasons why children are reluctant to come to school. It's not always based around the learning aspect. With this whole COVID situation, a lot of schools move uh, online. Mm -hmm. um, can this type of learning be as effective as actual school learning? It's not ideal, because obviously... Learning, I personally feel, needs to be a very, very social event. Um, yes, you can sit your child in front of a laptop and they can tap into BBC Bite Size or, you know, um, an education programme that they can um, you know, practice their numeracy or their writing. But the problem is 
you have to monitor it all the time because children, and I know this from my own granddaughter, who's 10, she will choose an easy task that she knows she can do. And obviously, she will not progress without being taken out of her comfort zone. I think really it's quite a lonely way to learn. I studied with the Open University and you know, as a distance learner, it's quite a lonely way to learn and you can't bounce ideas off of each other. Um, you always should teach um, children um, with a mixed abilities together. So if you have a really able child, you tend to put less able children to work with them because the more able children tend to pull up the children that are struggling. Obviously, if you're just using online resources, that's really difficult to do. And it's really difficult to monitor and deliver, especially with young children, um, the practical resources that they need. So... um, for older children, I think it might work. Um, for younger children, um, I don't think it's going to bring the results that you could do if you're in a classroom environment. Okay. Now let's talk a little bit about yourself. What languages do you speak? Um, well, I'm trying to learn French. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your experience of learning French as an adult. Okay. Um, first thing is retaining the the knowledge, Um, being given the opportunity to actually speak French is not always so easy because I don't live here full time. Every time I go back to the UK, I say, I'm going to practice French every day and of course other things take over and you never do. I think you need or I need to use lots of different ways of learning French just as a child would. Um, Obviously, I need opportunity to listen to to speak and at the moment I'm in the I'm at the stage where I can understand and I can read more and then I can speak because I actually find the grammar very difficult to to understand because quite often things are back to front and the grammar is not arranged the way that I'm used to and after 59 years I'm just speaking English. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually quite difficult. And of course, my neuron pathways. So it's, it's definitely more difficult as you get older to learn something new. But on saying that, it's very, very good for your brain to learn a second language because it creates those new pathways within, within your brain. So okay. it's, um, it's challenging, but um, it just takes a bit longer, I think. And what are some of the advantages of learning a foreign language? Um, I think it obviously opens doors. I, I saw the, um, the interview you did with Chris, and he's exactly right um, from the point of view that it opens so many more doors. It's fascinating to learn about a new culture. Um, it's just really enjoy- enjoyable to be able to come and spend you know, long periods of time in a different country and be able to, you know, spend time with the locals and uh, everybody knows us here in the village because we're the only English. And because we've been renovating the house for, you know, two houses for five years, everybody's fascinated. So all the neighbours and passers-by always want to stop and chat to us and it's really lovely to be able to talk back to them. So, um, 
yeah, it just opens more doors for you, and and it's interesting to to see how other people live okay. and the way they think. And um, can it change you? I mean, learning a new language can change. Can it change the way you think? Um, I think it does. I think it just makes you appreciate that. You know, for me, when I live in my little bubble in the UK, um, in an affluent area in the UK, that um, there is a big wide world out there and there's so much to learn and see and do. And it's 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 just fascinating um, to see how other people live and, and uh, learn all about their lives, really. What advice would you give to someone who really wants to move to a different country but doesn't feel confident starting learning a foreign language from scratch? I think you've just got to give it a go. I think you need to do your homework. Um, you know, try and there's lots of really good online resources um, to help you learn different languages, but there's nothing that replaces um, being given the opportunity to speak with native Um, exactly. In my case, native French speakers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, from the point of view of the accent as well, because where we are in the Ariège, they have a very strong accent. That's true. And um, I find that if I talk to somebody who comes from Paris, I can understand more oh, okay. than um, some of the native Portuguese, French speakers here in the Ariège. So, yeah, there's a lot of Portuguese born, but um, uh, who have lived in France for very many years. So they've still got quite a strong Portuguese accent mixed in with the French, and then it all becomes very complicated. Can imagine? Yeah. How does one's confidence affect his language learning? Oh, massively. It's interesting because if I think about my husband and I, um, Steve will just speak. He's not worried about, he has a confidence just to speak. He knows his grammar's not perfect and he knows that a lot of the time he, he's not understood, but he just has the confidence to give it a go. Whereas I tend to like to know what I'm saying and I'm more focused on getting the grammar right. Um, so that holds me back. And even though as a teacher, I for 20 years drummed to children, it's okay to take risks. Actually, I'm not brilliant at it myself. <laughs> um, so I think, yeah, if you have the confidence just to give it a go, And I think particularly here in our village, the people appreciate that you're just trying. And they, they don't mock you, they don't laugh at you, they laugh with you. And they're forever, you know, correcting and helping and encouraging. So, no, confidence is, is really important. Okay. Just, just give it a go. Do you think a child can learn English or any other foreign language from just watching TV? Yes and no. It's just part of the learning experience. You, know, you can't just rely on it. And it's just, I think it's just a part of the, le- the whole learning experience. It can be helpful, but it certainly can't be relied on as a sole way of learning a new language, okay. I don't think. Can a child learn a foreign language 
by playing computer games? What do you think? I know it has become quite popular. I have to be honest, I haven't given it much thought. Um, again, all I can say is I think it just needs to be part of the learning experience. But if a child enjoys what they're doing, and if they really enjoy playing computer games, then yes, of course it's got to help. But it can't be relied on as the only way to teach, okay. to teach children a language or any subject. You know, it has a role to play. And I think it can improve, you know, um, the foreign language or whatever the, the idea of the game is. But it can't be... It can't be relied on as a sole way. Okay, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you just have to um, tap into so many different ways of learning and just come back to the objective of the lesson or the objective of that session and just keep repeating it because it has to go into your long-term memory. You know, I learn a new French phrase and I have to find a way of repeating it at least seven times and then repeat it the next day because if you don't it just doesn't stick um, maybe young children just have to repeat it two or three times and it sticks <laughs> but so that as you get older you need more repetition and, um, and if playing computer games is part of that learning then yeah why not um, if I really like to travel and I let's say travel a lot abroad how can I improve my learning and practicing experience if, uh, let's say, I go to the United Kingdom as a tourist. So what do you mean by practice? So you, what what can you do before you travel? No, 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 when I'm when here. you're there. Obviously, you need to find opportunities to speak the language. Um, you could um, go on organized tours okay. so that you have a guide who's speaking to you in, the in English. Um, you could um, obviously hopefully you've done a little bit of homework so you can um, go to a restaurant and, and understand or have opportunity to speak about uh, ordering a meal or when you arrive at your hotel or destination um, most British people are actually quite friendly although I don't know that we've got a reputation for being overly friendly but you know if you seek out people and you want to have a chat especially in bars or restaurants and I'm sure people would chat to you if you if you just tried to uh, you know to speak the language uh, we have lots of um, at our bed and breakfast in the UK we have lots of Europeans stay with us we try to give time to, to, to speak to them so it makes them feel welcome and gives them a chance to, to learn a little bit of English or to practice what they already know. So it's just really searching out ways that you can you know, listen to the language so you get to learn the rhythm of the language. Um, maybe take any opportunity you can to actually to talk to people. Right. That's the best way, really. Yeah. Just to, like I say, the, you know, going on guided tours around, you know, a guided tour around London, you'll learn a lot about the culture and from the guide but you also it will help your listening skills and and um and the people are friendly they won't kill you no of course they won't i mean you just need to start speaking some some of us we have this strong fear of speaking yeah we yeah, need just, to work on that yeah just give it a go yeah. definitely 
Don't be frightened. Be confident and just and just try. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Julia. I really appreciate it. That's all right. I've really enjoyed um, speaking about my experiences and uh, I hope it helps. Thank you. Be healthy. Take care of yourself. Bye.